Tonight's episode of the BS Podcast on the Ringer Podcast Network brought to you by ZipRecruiter. They are the place that has the tools to make hiring more efficient and more effective, like some of the great basketball teams we have these days. It's the smartest way to hire. The tech doesn't stop just with their powerful technology, scanning thousands of resumes to find people the right experience for your jobs. It keeps going. It finds out what candidates you like and invites more to apply. So effective four to five employers will post on ZipCrew to get a quality candidate through the site within the first day. Try it for free at ZipCrew.com slash BS. Meanwhile, Tecovas believes that Western goods should be accessible to anyone and everyone. Cowboy boots handmade with high quality full grain leathers by world-class boot makers. Kyle is wearing them right now. Oh, wow. He walked in with like a special strut to him. I didn't know what was going on. Shipping returns, exchanges free and easy. Do what Kyle did today. Get yourself a pair of Tacova's cowboy boots at tacovas.com slash BS, T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com slash BS. If you love the rewatchables, we put up one Sunday about Contagion which had turned into a disturbing and fascinating rewatch given everything that is going on right now. We are also putting up Godfather 3 on Wednesday night. So be ready for that one. Godfather 3, seen as a bust, it's definitely uh, a worthy installment of the flawed rewatchable series that we're doing right now. Not as bad as I remembered in a lot of ways. Actually, has some really good moments. It was a worthy rewatch you can guess what the flaw is, and boy, is it a flaw. But we talk about that, so you can check that out. Coming up, we're going to talk to Joe House for a little bit about everything going on right now with the coronavirus and sports and everything else. And then David Chang, my old friend who hosts a Ringer podcast here on the Ringer Podcast Network. He's talking about his new uh, Netflix show, but we, we're talking about cooking trends. It, it gets super weird. Got meta. weird. It's meta. Let's put it that way. Kyle loves when it gets weird. That's why the, your wheelhouse is when it gets super weird in the room. Yeah. And this one gets weird in a good way. Uh, so that's all coming up. First, our friends from Pearl Jam. All right, Joe House is on the line. Haven't talked to him in a while. Haven't talked to him about all the stuff that's happened the last two plus weeks here. I think we're heading toward a day that might even be Wednesday, but I think it will probably be this week when the NBA announces that um, they're not going to have fans in the arenas for these games. I think they have been slowly paving the way for this announcement first with the media stuff. Then you saw LeBron really came out and was like, I'm not, if there's no fans, I'm not playing. Then he backtracked that big time today and was like, oh, I actually didn't understand. I didn't realize they meant NBA games in the arenas with no fans. So whatever, whatever he did, I think it's all leading to no fans in the arenas. And I got to say, I don't think it's the worst idea house. What do you think? Uh, of course it's not the worst idea. It's, it's fine. Like we, we will all manage to continue to live our lives uh, successfully and hopefully coronavirus free if all of us are engaging in in behavior that, um, you know, minimizes social contact for a little while. So, yeah, it's yeah not rocket science. we have to just 
sit at home and watch the games with nobody there, that's fine. I could, I'm, I'm happy to be home. I'm happy to watch the games. I'm happy that they're still playing the games. Yeah, I talked to my dad who went to a Celtic game on Friday and the guy, I guess, behind him was coughing. And every time this person coughed, everybody kind of stiffened in, in my dad's row. And it's like, when it starts getting to that point where, you know, and people are afraid to touch. And my dad's like, everybody's being so careful not to shake hands and do elbow bumps. And then you go to the bathroom and there's drunk people pissing all over the place. And um, I just think probably putting 20,000 people together for any reason, isn't a great idea. Now I am in the way, way, way better to be cautious and say after the fact, ah, oh, man, we probably went a little overboard there than not be cautious enough. So I, I'm good with all this, but at the same time, we're getting really close to the reality now of watching sports that we love with no fans and fans not being able to go to games and South by Southwest got canceled last week and the Ivy League tournament got canceled today. Colleges are sending home, sending people home. It is like the manifestation of where things have been headed the last 20 years where everybody is at home, not interacting. Now we're actually going to be living it out. It seems like house. That's, I mean, you're, you're right. We're all very well versed in living a life on screen, some combination of computer screen, phone screen, television screen. Um, I will say the thing that I'm wondering about is what about like just going out to get something to eat? Are you going to do that? Like if you're not going to go to a, a thing where there's going to be a thousand people and that seems to be the bright line that experts are drawing. Let's not have any community gatherings of that size. I can live perfectly happy and comfortably if I have my screens and the internet works, the Wi-Fi is good to go, and I'm allowed to go up the street to Popeye's. <laughs> well, that's, that's my standard. Well, it is funny that we're drawing stand, we're drawing lines in this, right? Like, well, if I go to this Clipper game. You know, maybe that's a bad idea. I could, I could get sick here, but I'm gonna stay home. But then I'll order Postmates, and then this random guy shows up at my house. I have no idea who he is. He's touched the bag with my food. I'm taking the bag from him. Like it's at some point, there's a line, and I don't know what the line is or where, but it does seem like congregating large groups of people is probably not a great idea until we can contain this. What happened with Italy and the speed that everything? spread and how scary that was. And now people, you know, they basically quarantined the whole country. Um, the empty arenas thing, you know, it's going to be surreal to watch. You know, everybody, like people like us, our age are like, well, this is what the, what it was like to watch basketball in the early eighties. You see like a Pacers game or a Nets game and there was nobody there. That's, you see the pictures from back then and there's nobody in the background. I can't imagine how it's going to affect the energy of the games and the players themselves. Cause basically we're talking about pickup in a giant stadium, which I've been lucky enough to play, you know, at Staples center and a couple other NBA arenas when there's nobody there. And it's just big and cavernous. The site perception's weird. Cause there's nobody in the seats. And I guess that's just what we're going to have. But again, I, I think this is what they should do. And I think this is where this is leading. But when you talk about March madness, now we're talking about the NCAA. Now we're talking about a governing body that has always prioritized money over any other rational decision, right? It's like, what is the highest cash figure we can get? Who can we exploit? What, what 
what ways can we just maximize profits at all times? And now, you, now potentially we'd be canceling the final four or having an empty stadium. What happens with March Madness? What happens with people flying to different locations and things like that? It would seem like if the NBA was going to cancel a, you know, fans coming to arenas, it would seem like March Madness should follow that. House, are you dubious that they would actually do that? Well, I don't think that they're going to have the opportunity to make the decision because I think uh, state and local officials will be making that decision for them. They, they, I think I saw in today's news feed that the governor of Ohio was already either putting a moratorium or strongly, strongly, strongly recommending against gatherings of more than a thousand people. And, uh, you know, there, there are a bunch of NCAA tournament stuff. I think like the, what do they call the first four? There's a couple games. Yeah. There's, there's definitely some stuff supposed to be happening in it's Ohio. Called, and so it's the called NCAA, the shitty four house. It's called the shitty four <laughs> before we get to the hey, 64. Easy. That's the only ho- Holy cross NCAA win in the last 50 years. So let, let's, let's, let's tap the, the shitty four. We actually yeah. have, yes, we had, we won a game like five years ago. Well, it was, it was, one third as many games as we won this year in the entire season when we went three and 29. So that was a great memory. (laughs) Anyway, I interrupted you. I did. Yeah. Well, but I think, you know, the NCAA will be able to say, look, we respect the decisions of of the governors of these States that say, yeah, we're not going to let you come in here and uh, have 20,000 people. I, I expect them to still play the games. um, And for like, parents and 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 so forth to be permitted but maybe like you know the stands have 300 or 400 people in them um at most like some school officials some parents and and the players and my guess would be that they're going to try and go forward with the games and people pretending they're parents so they could be at the game i mean i would do that you know there's there's all these other dominoes falling from this beyond the whole what happens if there are no fans at these games and all the conversations everyone's having. But first, Brian Curtis wrote about with these new media things that have been implemented already where, um, you know, they're trying to limit as much contact as possible between the media and the players, which basically means eliminating any sort of access the media has, whether that becomes the new norm. Once that's in place, then it never goes back to normal because, you know, like for instance, 2008 writer strike that uh, happened 12 years ago. Once that strike was in place, Hollywood reset how they do pilot season. And before they were buying, you know, dozens and dozens of pilots and then just throwing shit against the wall and hoping a couple of them stuck. When they had to redo the whole concept of pilot season because of a writer strike and they had less shows, they were like, oh wait, we were ordering too many shows. And then it was just never the same. They never ordered that many shows again. I wonder with sports, once we have this media thing in in place, and this is what Brian laid out, and I thought it was a great angle, um, will this just become where we are? And will we ever have that access again? I haven't had the chance to read um, Brian's piece yet, but with respect to, to the observation, it does seem like there could be a sensible and efficient way to do post-game sports interviewing that doesn't have the journalist crammed into a corridor or crammed on the, you know, into the, the entranceway of a locker room. Like if, if this has the effect of 
basically like creating every team needs to come up with a space where the the journalists can sit and ask their questions and the players and coaches can you know go to a podium and be 10 or 12 feet away and it's a smidge more organized that sounds kind of sensible to me the access is still crucial though because we still as fans and and you know the the um publications that that uh have uh, incentive to report on what happened. We still want to know what guys have to say, yeah. guys and girls, about their the games and the same from the coaches. So I don't think the access is going away. It's just going to change like the dynamic. And I, it seems like that makes sense, honestly. Well, we have it in the NBA playoffs, right? Right. That's, that's they go. They sit at a at a, at a at table table with with chairs. My whole thing is I don't. I don't feel like we're getting a ton out of the access that at least we can see. I think a lot of it happens with the, uh, the one-on-one stuff and, you know, sneaking to the side and things like that. That's the part that the good journalists are going to lose. I just wonder so much of this stuff is spin now and there's, especially with sports and especially with the bigger athletes, I wonder what kind of stuff we're actually getting from them anyway, you know, and, and what are, what are we actually losing compared to like when in, I'm just saying like in the seventies when we were growing up and you read the newspaper, that was really the only way to know what was going on with your team. You know, now I feel like we're so much more connected to the players, to the sport, to the teams day to day. We have a real feel for what's going on. And those kind of moments just don't, don't seem to have the same weight that they did yeah, in 1978. You still get guys uh, and and coaches who, in the moment, is still in the kind of the heat of the moment, have the disappointment, the taste, the bad taste in their mouth. That True. sometimes will, you know, get, deliver something. It happens frequently enough that I think there's still value. I I'm interested in seeing you know uh, disappointed coach X throw player Y under the bench. Like True. the 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 entirety of of. Uh, Zach Levine's um, post game <laughs> commentary on Boylan this year—that all by itself is is worth you know folks going into the locker room or wherever it is that the Bulls have people meet to hear what L- Levine has to say after games. True, I think the athletes are so much more careful now because a lot of times they're just getting videotaped by somebody's phone, and if they whatever they say can be on Twitter in twenty seconds, you know, and so I, I think there's a lot more tap dancing. That maybe we used to have the stuff from the seventies and the eighties is incredible. The the candor that guys talked with back then. So anyway, I think that's going to be one thing that resets. So hopefully, when uh, when we get this thing under control, God knows when that's going to be. The other thing, and I haven't heard a lot of people talk about this. A friend of mine who works for ESPN was telling me about it recently. Like the whole concept of just televising sporting events where you have hundreds of people. You have broadcast teams flying in for the games. If that turns out, maybe that can't happen anymore. Then they would have to use people that were on the ground in the games. You know, I think there's a creativity level that's going to have to go way up. I don't think it's a situation where, you know, Mike Breen and Jeff Van Gundy are just going to be flying around from city to city. I I don't think that if this deteriorates and it feels like it's going to keep deteriorating, um, the whole concept of how this stuff is covered will will change. Obviously, all this stuff uh, is small potatoes compared to the the potential pandemic we have. But um, right, right, right. But that's we're just talking about some of the curious impacts and the permutations of this. I mean, obviously, we're not making light of of any of the serious 
nature of uh, the challenge that the pandemic represents. But like, we, I think that would be cool if you use the local broadcast teams and the local broadcast infrastructure. Every city, every major city that has uh, professional basketball, for instance, can host college basketball. And there are plenty of broadcasters sure. in each city. For for both college teams and and pro teams, I think the infrastructure is there. They just you you mentioned the you used the word creativity. They're going to have to get creative and and deploy those folks. And I mean, there's there's definitely a way to do it. My question to you, speaking of things that I'm curious about, oh, how are we going to gamble on this? How like, are we going to gamble on empty crowds? Like, is home court yes. advantage gone? Ugh. Yeah, I mean, yeah. Well, first of all, this is all new territory, no matter what. No matter what right. happens, this is, is there... all something we've never experienced before as fans. And then it's like, do, do should we even be thinking this way? That that's the part we're so you and I, and I'm sure a slew of people listening to this, we're so conditioned to the cycle of sports, which is something Brian Phillips wrote about for the Ringer this week, where it's just like, oh, it's March. March Madness is coming. Hey, the Masters is around the corner. Hey, NBA playoffs is coming. And we just kind of move from thing to thing, and that's what we love. That's why we follow this stuff. And now that this is not only being threatened, but, you know, is in real jeopardy of, of, of just going away for God knows how long or being completely changed in a way that we can't recognize for us to talk, to wonder what that's going to feel like. I don't feel like that's narcissistic. I'm sure some people would, but it's hard not to think about this stuff. Sports is a huge part of my life and yours, and it's going to change all of a sudden out of nowhere. We're 50 years old, both of us. And it's just going to be completely different. What's that going to feel like? I don't know. Uh, if if there's no sports on TV and I'm not coming downtown to my job, um, then I'm going to be at the driving range. So my golf game is going to get um, That's should it. be really good this season. You're just going to be I'm driving? Gonna work on my handicap. Well, yeah, I'm going to work, work on my handicap. Well, you brought up golf. I'm nervous to bring this up. Uh-oh. The Masters. Yeah. April, it's like April 10th. Yeah, 9th, 10th, 11th, 12th. That's the stretch. I would say not realistic. People will be going out of their way to want to fly into Georgia and connect in different flights and things like that. The amount of people there will be the lowest ever. The question is, what if there are no people? What if it's just all these golfers playing just with their caddies and like, you know, spouses and that's it. And it's an empty Augusta. I think that would be one of the most eerie weekends in the history of television. Empty Augusta. I, I, I'm surprised to hear you say that. Um, I think for the most part, it will not be that dissimilar from how we consume golf because golf already is quiet for the vast majority of the broadcast. The except when, it's except not when there's a bit, when somebody makes a big shot, right. that would be the weird That's part, right. right? The roar on yes. 16 and it's just right. not there. And there's nobody around the green. It's yes. like everybody's no been roars. CGI'd away. <laughs> That's, I mean, it's, it's like the uh, apocalyptic movies that, that, um, you know, are, right. are of a sort. Um, I, I don't think this, there was there is a, a recent example of this um, in 2012 I think there was a tournament out at Congressional Country Club here in Washington D.C. and the night there was this 
weather phenomena. Have you ever heard of a derecho? No. You're not familiar with the derecho? No. It so sounds der- like a new, new fast food. It is a, I'm going to botch this, but it, the, the, at the guts of it, it's a windstorm that travels super fast and has with it super high power, high energy wind. And it kind of behaves almost like a, like a tornado, but it moves across. It's a weather front. So there was a derecho that moved from Chicago to Washington, D.C. back in, I think it was 2012. And the tournament that was occurring in Washington at the time at Congressional, they, the, the, the retro took down a slew of trees and they couldn't get all of the tree debris out of the way to uh, they could get it enough off the course to permit the, the guys to go play. But they couldn't get it enough to permit um, patrons, uh, spectators to onto the ground. So they, they couldn't ensure the safety. So they didn't let anybody on. And the guys played the, the rounds with no fans. The, the and I, I it was at least one round. I don't remember if it was two rounds. Um, and it was just a quiet golf round on television. Great for a nap if that's if 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 you're looking for a Saturday afternoon nap. Well, I've certainly played a few rounds of golf without fans in my day. <laughs> and <laughs> yeah, and it's uh, it's very it's very peaceful for the golfer. Right. I wonder if I mean, somebody would shoot like a 59. Fine. Yeah, somebody might shoot like a 59 with the with the no fans. I don't, I don't think know. the fans are the thing that makes golfers anxious one way or the other. I mean, I th- you know, it's the pressure of the situation. Well, House, this is, I don't know, I've had this podcast 13 years. This is certainly the strangest and most surreal thing that's happened since, since, um, since I launched a podcast. It was six years before or six years after 9-11 happened. Um, I certainly hope we don't remember all of this the way that uh, I think we remember 9-11, but it's really scary. And, you know, I I think we're headed toward a situation where kids are going to be home from school. Um, I don't know what happens to youth sports. That's another thing that, um, you know, that's been, that slipped through the cracks a little bit here where, you know, my daughter has had a tournament last weekend. She has another tournament this weekend. And, we're on the sidelines after goals, you know, kind of touching elbows, the parents and not the, and then her team scored the winning goal on Sunday with three minutes left. And we're all like high-fiving and t- like, it's hard to not be a human being, you know, like so you're going to forget, I, you're going to lapse. Think that's, under every iteration though, I think that's fine. I don't, I haven't seen any of the public health experts come out and say, you can't go see 10 people. You can't go be in a place and especially outdoors, you can't be like, you know, in a place where there's 50 people or 60 people. It seems like the critical mass is around a thousand people with the, the, where the threat and, and in that environment, you just described like your daughter's soccer game, you know, all those people, Yeah, you don't know where all of them have been, but you know, you have a kind of expectation that all of them are being as safe as can, as they can be. And they also are fitting a demo. That's not the risky demo, right? They're not, um, elderly, they're not uh, extraordinarily vulnerable to uh, you know lung lung issues, cardiopulmonary issues. So, like if if you're doing some risk waiting, right? It's it's probably okay to keep going to, to the soccer games. They probably I would think don't so. have to cancel the soccer games. Well, you think right? like think like our parents are probably high lottery picks for this virus. Just like the things yeah, that the virus the likes. That's the that's the part that's really frightening. 
yeah. you know, like you mentioned so I, lungs you know, and, and coronary stuff. And it's like, Jesus. Um, I mean, they canceled the Indian Wells thing out here in Palm Springs, which is, you know, has a really old clientele. And there's a lot of old people that go to that event. They were like, fuck this. And they got rid of it. Um, I think oh, that's no. a good idea. Now it's pouring rain. I don't know what that means. But um, <laughs> yeah, I guess we'll see how it plays out. It's weird. Russell and I, we, we briefly talked about it on Sunday. I, I think I've talked about it in every podcast I've had since last week. It just feels weird to do podcasts and not talk about it, you know, and, and I don't really have anything amazing to say, but it's what I've been thinking about a lot. And usually I think the stuff to talk about on a podcast, especially this one is, you know, what's going on, what's on, what's on my mind, what's on my friend's mind. And this is what we talk about. And this is what we're talking about every single time. Um, quickly, before we go, the Giannis LeBron thing, you had a huge Giannis MVP bet. It seemed like you could just start spending the money even two weeks ago. And then LeBron made the late charge. Russell and I covered all the narratives and all the reasons why Giannis should still be the MVP with 18 games left, depending on what happens. But, you know, who knows? Could LeBron swing this, et cetera, et cetera. How nervous are you for the Giannis bet? Or did you already hedge? I already hedged. I mean, we, we, had the conversations among ourselves as uh, scrupulous, um, you know, uh, thoughtful betters in the in this arena. Cousin Sal and I compared some notes. We exchanged some some lines that were out there, and we did a little bit of forward thinking. And and you know, basically, LeBron at plus odds, at, in any kind of iteration, was the sensible play as of this. Uh, right before they played the Clippers, because that's yep. when it felt like it was going to switch, and it, and we were basically like, "This is the most value you're going to get for LeBron right here, this moment, the Saturday before they play the Clippers." Because if they beat the Clippers, then value is off the table. You're yep. going to have to get you know pay. It's going to be pretty close to even odds, or or just a little bit above even odds. So that was you know uh, the 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 sensible move. And and the thing is, at that point in time, and and we still don't have clarity around it. If Giannis misses most of these last 18 games um, and and the Lakers overtake the Bucks, then I don't even really have that big a problem with LeBron winning the MVP. It doesn't really break my heart. I mean, we're, we're, we're past the point. We're through the looking glass in terms of underlying metrics, analytics, you know, doing the, the, the job of swaying the voters. The voters are media people. And media people like stories. And Russell Westbrook led a team to 46 wins and one playoff win in a series that that his team lost four games to one. But he won the NBA MVP because he averaged a team-facilitated triple-double. And that, to me, was like, okay, this is a joke. I proceed. He had to proceed cautiously. It's all about the story. It's not about the underlying metrics. Harden, James Harden has a legit reason to be pissed about that MVP being stolen out from under him that season. And so, you know, buyer beware. That's the the order of the day as far as I'm concerned when it comes to MVP. Yeah. Oscars are a little like this too. The best narrative usually has the best chance. But I think with MVP, especially when Giannis won last year, so now people don't feel bad if they don't vote for him again. And then LeBron's getting up there in age. Could be his last stand. Could be his last chance. People start thinking about that stuff versus 
the actual production. But the big thing that's changed is Milwaukee seemed like they were going to be way ahead in the win-loss thing and potentially going to be in the 70s for wins. And now, you know, the Lakers might either catch them or come close to catching them. So at that point, and it's at that point where yeah, we're moving win loss and we're just going to our player versus player, impact versus impact, whose season mattered more, all the stuff we always talk about this stuff. There's a case to be made for LeBron. Again, I said this Sunday night, I'm going to repeat it. Um, we don't want to hear about your vote yet, anyone out there. There's 18 games left. Let's let's let this play out. Don't don't rush to vote when there's, you know, a week from now when there's 16 games left. Like just Settle down. It's okay. We can wait till the final week of the season to make a decision. We don't have to give our thoughts, you know, whatever. But it's a two-man race now, and and, and it's shocking. There's no no foreseeable way two weeks ago that this was ever happening. Um, well, because the, the Bucks looked unstoppable and, and were winning in every kind of iteration of, of Milwaukee-dom with uh, Giannis, without Giannis, they were... They were dominant, and his his continued impact on the defensive end um, was, to me, the thing that had him tipped over. But if he misses some games because of this injury and the Lakers catch him, then I don't have any issue with it. LeBron leading the league in assists this year is is incredible, and it's not an inflated stat, right? I mean, it's, no. it's, it's he's gone out. He's dedicated to it. He's earned it. I love LeBron as facilitator. And if he wins the MVP, it's deserved because he's, he has four. I love the company that it puts him in. If he gets to five, you know, the all-timers um, that, that, that have five. Uh, MJ, five or six? I don't remember. In terms MJ's of five. Kareem is six. MJ's okay. five. And, uh, and Russell's five. So it would... So there you go. Yeah. He belongs in that company. I have absolutely no issue whatsoever. And it would be a very compelling case. They would only be like, oh... Giannis was cheated. Giannis will not have been cheated if the Lakers end up with a game or within a game or two of the same record as as the Bucks for this season, or even if they surpass them, then it, then it's really compelling. Well, and LeBron's also he's as we're taping this, he's played fifty nine games, thirty five minutes a game, basically. So we're talking. That's, I mean, we're talking five minutes more a game than Giannis. Yeah, and we're talking over two thousand minutes. Headed toward maybe twenty four hundred, twenty five hundred, something like that, plus another. 800 to 1,000 in the playoffs, potentially. This is, he's on pace for a 3,500-minute season, which I, I don't think, you know, at the level that he's played at and how hard he's played, especially lately on both ends, it seems uh, well, pretty he, crazy. It's my favorite LeBron six, season in a while. He had a six-month rest. I mean, he did. You know, he took off the last but two months of, of last season. and You know what, though? He needed it. and He did. You know, I'll, did. I'll defend him on that one because it goes back to what Steve Kerr said with with this whole thrown away warrior season where he's like, we needed it. It's really hard to go to the finals every year. It's really hard to play for eight to nine straight months year after year. And I think, I wonder last year if LeBron, once he realized that that team didn't have it, you just start thinking like, all right, long-term, I want, I want to make two or three more runs at this. It's not a bad idea to reboot and rest and, and get my back. But you, you can definitely feel it in his play this year. This is as strong and as consistent um, physically, as he's looked at really since the 2018 playoffs, which was about a five, six week thing when he really well, turned I, on the Jets, you know, and, and now he's been able to do that for this entire season, pretty much. I'm totally fine with it. The one I will not be fine with, and I'm glad Charles Barkley, uh, this the guy from Bleacher Report, um, have a quote from Charles that Charles is going to go insane if Zion Williamson wins the rookie of the year 
over John Morant. Yeah, I just that's want, terrible. On the record right now, that if Zion Williamson wins Rookie of the Year over John Morant, I'm going to drink for six hours, and I insist that I have a platform on this podcast. I need just oh, drunk I house? only need 10 Dr- minutes. Drunk, drunk house, house is back? That's Kyle's favorite guest. If, if, if Zion Williamson beats out John Morant, I'm going to look up that list of, of people that voted for... Do they publish who voted for who? Well, that was like when him, people were voting for Embiid that year. He played like 31 games. It's like, what are you guys doing? He I'm, missed two-thirds of the season. I'm, I'm going to go name by name, and there's there's going to be slander. There's going to be <laughs> libel. There's going to be bad words. It People's, sounds great. I'm not, I won't threaten anybody, but I'm not going to say nice things. I'll tell you that much. Well, I'll promise I'll promise America this cuz if this corona thing if it if it just keeps getting worse and we hit a point where people can't go to the office, everybody's stuck in their house, et cetera, et cetera, we're going to have to bring out drunk house. <laughs> we're going to have to find It won't be very hard. We we're going to have to find a way to entertain America as Things are getting canceled left and right, and um, they're watching NBA games in empty arenas and all that stuff. The world's going to need Drunk House, I think. I'm That's willing to do it for you. I'm willing to do it for the ringer. I'm willing to do it for America. Well, we might, It would be my pleasure. You and I might not see each other for like six months. Who the, who the fuck knows? We might. Neither of us will be I getting know. on a plane anytime soon. Doesn't seem like it. Yeah. Although, you know, uh, you you. There, there are these stories out there about, you know, the Spotify and the Ringer. I mean, you know, <laughs> oh, private right? jets. I know, so far, the private jets are still pretty clean, I think. Right. I don't know. What, what do I know? All right. I'll, I'll, Maybe I'll, you could get on a jet. I'll work on that, House. I'll, I'll keep you yeah, posted. Good. House, uh, we can hear you on Fairway Rolling, making your, are you doing Players Championship anything this week or no? What do you mean anything this week? The Players' Championship is the single deepest. It's the strongest field in all of golf every single season. There are 144 players in the, in the, in the Players' Championship. 110 of those players have won an event on the PGA Tour. All of the top 75 players on tour are uh, uh, in the official world golf rankings are playing this event, except for Tiger, whose back is hurt, and Lee Westwood, who wants to gamble on horses in in England, which is kind of fucking awesome. But yeah, it's I I we we have uh, Pat Mayo, yeah. who is uh, Pat from the Pat Mayo Experience. He's got a whole bunch of picks. He's a golf uh, gambling analyst of the year, by the way. Wow. I, I didn't know he came on, yeah. and we have uh, Matt Wallace, who is. Uh, a player from England um, who's physically at the Players' Championship. This week, he gave us a little bit of intelligence on what, what the conditions are like and what he's kind of expecting. So it's it's All an outstanding right. fairway rule, and we give out about probably like 10 names. It's an, a, a perfect Players' Championship preview. All right, so that's going up. That's probably up by the time people hear this. You could have also just said, hey, I have a new Fairway Rolling podcast. We we preview the Players' Championship. You should listen to it. That would have been the other way to do that. <laughs> or you could do it for 70 li- straight seconds about the guy. I like to tease it. I, like, I want everybody <laughs> to have something to sink their teeth into. Uh, House, a pleasure as always. Stay safe out there in D.C. Talk to you soon. Let's all stay safe out there. And, and, and bet the unders in the empty arenas. Bet the under. Okay. <laughs> Talk to you soon. Hey, today's business challenges are bigger and more complex than ever before. For every company, progress just can't wait. Thankfully, helping to accelerate progress is in Google Cloud's DNA. Google Cloud lives for the opportunity to help customers think through all the different ways to overcome obstacles, to make breakthroughs, 
and use technology to create outcomes that matter. It's what they're doing for some of the biggest brands on the planet, companies like the New York Times, PayPal, Target, each tackling big, bold challenges and shaping the world around us from retail to manufacturing, from finance to healthcare, and all industries in between. Google Cloud is helping solve their customers' most important challenges with solutions like industry-changing, AI-driven insights, rock-solid security, complete digital transformation. They got a lot going on. Bring them your big ideas, your what-ifs, your moonshots. There's no limit to what you can solve. Together, learn how. Visit g.co slash cloud slash solving. Once again, g.co slash cloud slash solving. Google Cloud. <laughs> the read that gives me the most trouble over so and over better. again. Google Cloud, what are you solving for? And now, without further ado, my friend, David Chang. David Chang is here. We're taping this on a Friday morning, the day that uh, Ugly Delicious season two came out on Netflix, but we're not running this probably till, I would say, Tuesday range. Mm-hmm. Unless, unless who knows? <laughs> who knows what'll happen? Uh, congrats. Thank you. Congrats on that. You actually were dumb enough to put me in this. One of my favorite scenes of the entire season. Some people say Joe and I didn't have a high enough usage rate in the series. <laughs> That it's, there could have been more. I I could see that. I could like see they that. May, they might want to spin us off into our own show. It was certainly one of the funniest things. Whip at him when he whipped out that knife. You didn't know he had this knife, right? No, I didn't. Because I was. If you watch, I'm bending down to get a napkin that fell off my lap, and I look up, and he's holding this OJ knife, and I'm like, "What's going on? Why is this happening?" So yeah, what were the four? You did one about kids. Kids episode. We did uh, Indian food. We did vertical spit cooking, so foods from the Middle East region. And, uh, oh my God, what was the other one? Steak. Steak. Yeah. There's a lot to talk about steak. You're in the steak episode. Yeah, I was going to say, I didn't know when we were going to run this podcast. I was thinking about dry aging it and running it 350 (laughs) days from now, and it'll give everyone diarrhea. We've (laughs) talked about this on the hottest take. (laughs) You're... Vehemently opposed to dry age steaks. Not vehemently opposed. I just don't get it. You, you, you tell me. You claim that it's life altering to do it, and I'm just like, you know, it's good at filet mignon. I put I put some A1 sauce on it. It tastes delicious. I don't. You know, also know here. when I love A1 sauce, it bothers you too. It's okay. I, you know, A1 sauce on French fries, pretty good. Not on steak. No. You know what my favorite thing is lately. The pounded breaded chicken. Wait. Like really pounded. <laughs> pounded in a very special way. But let's get back to no, the no, 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 no. Now this has to be spoken about. Yeah. How different is the pounded chicken breast to any other chicken breast that you eat that you love? Chicken parm's the same thing. I like when it's pounded to the point that there's chicken, but there's bread and it's just that there's there's some like a schnitzel. You I don't want like, a schnitzel. I like schnitzel. I don't like when it's too fat. I don't like the unpounded chicken breast that's breaded. It's like, what are you doing? It always feels like it's not totally cooked well enough. You make a chicken at Major Domo. What is that? Like a boiled it's chicken? It's a boiled chicken. It's, it's like the secret best dish on the in the whole restaurant. But it's it's boring. Nobody would be like, oh, what's well, that? Actually, people ordered it quite a bit. Do they? Yeah. Well, because you feel like, all right, well, I could get this crazy short rib. I could go all these different... Eh, chicken. Chicken is always like pushed to the side as like a fun order, but this is... It's a... It's 
so this boiled chicken dish, we brine it before we boil it, number one. So it's, it's a, and we don't technically boil it. We cover it in a, a pot and we steam it. So it's basically boiled in steam. But, and then we uh, serve the breast meat and then we make a soup out of the, the leg meat. It's delicious. You, you love it. I like when multiple things are happening yeah. with the same dish. But where now the dish I, is going in four different directions. Now I have to put a schnitzel on the menu. I have to. I haven't been in. Have you been to Austria? No. That's the home of the schnitzel. And there's like a north version of the schnitzel and a southern version. So the Germans didn't steal the, or they stole no. the schnitzel. I don't think the Germans invented schnitzel. Maybe it's Austria. No, but I feel like it's a German thing. But the Austrians, yeah, and they they, they like a. I think they cook it in some butter and some pork fat, but ultimately it's delicious. I think if you don't like schnitzel, that's one of those foods that we can't be friends. Right? Let's go through every country and say what their single best dish is. Oh, right I like now. this. This I will like enrage this. people. So Austria, the schnitzel. Austria, schnitzel. Germany, the bratwurst. Sauerkraut or bratwurst? I'd say the, brat, the bratwurst with the sauerkraut. French. Sauerkraut. French. Not only just completely underrated, but also the levels of sauerkraut underrated because the high level sauerkraut, if it's really done correctly. Nephew Kyle had a, a funny look on his face with sauerkraut. You know? well, I mean, if it's between sauerkraut and bratwurst, would you say bratwurst? Yeah. Yeah, bratwurst. But with the sauerkraut. Okay, well, I, we can make that amendment. That is I a think that has to be together. Together. Okay. What kind of mustard are you looking at in that situation? I'll be honest. I'm not a huge fan of mustard in I general. Love mustard. I like grainy mustard. That's another face. Mustard's great. But not all mustards are the same. Yeah, I know. So I like that brown mustard, dirty brown mustard with a little kick to it. That's a, what I want with my sauerkraut. In Canada, I'm going to say the best mustard in the world is from Canada. Really? It's called Coslix. It is outstanding. Truly outstanding mustard. Coslix mustard. And they have all kinds of mustard. Can I order it online? You can. Oh, this is great information. You've <laughs> already made my podcast. I mean, that's, I mean, I'm a, if I'm going to eat mustard, it's got to be like very, very good. And obviously if you're going to make a salad dressing, I guess grape poupon or something like that. So, or Dijon's fine. But Coslix uh, in Canada to me is the best. Best food in Canada? <clears throat> Chinese food in Richmond, in British Columbia. But Chinese food in general in Canada is amazing. Chinese food in Canada? Dude. Yeah. Unbelievable. We, we it's probably the, some of the best Cantonese food is in what, what, British Columbia. Would the answer would it be Canadian bacon? It's called pea meal bacon. Not Canadian bacon. In Canada, you don't call it Canadian bacon. You call it pea meal bacon. What's the best food in the UK? Single best dish. I mean... Shepherd's pie? Um, that's a that's American cafeteria food. I think it's got to be fish and chips, right? That's got to be the the British food. I just feel like fish and chips is such a low ceiling. I think you've had it bad. I mean, you're from Mass. You it's probably fish had and good chips fish and chips. Fine. I think you've not it's had a fried good one. fish. Yeah, I, oh, I this think is another change. challenge for you. Now no, you're no, gonna no, add no. fried fish. I'm just to the not even gonna fall for this. That's just a. a, a, yeah. a Moving to Italy, what are you going to say? Pizza or pasta? Uh, I mean, you know how I feel about the meatball. It's got to be spaghetti then, right? You're doing pasta. Kyle? Pasta. Pasta? So versatile. No, you're right. Pasta. It's got to be a pasta with a meatball. If, if I'm really going full Italy. 
But well, as you know, I love the chicken parmesan as we, well. To, to narrow this focus, because we go forever, what is, let's break up America. All right? New England. What is New England? The regions. So a lot of people would say the lobster roll here. Lobster roll or clam chowder? I personally would say the lobster roll is a higher upside than the clam chowder because clam chowder, they try to ride the reputation of the clam chowder throughout New England, but it's not necessarily that good place to place. What do you think, Kyle? More of a lobster bis type of guy, but that might be a wrong uh, region. I don't know. No, that's the right region, just wrong answer. What's, what's, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I think it's a, probably clam chowder. If it's a good clam chowder. It, yeah, but we're just talking like, let's assume it's the best. Right. I feel like we're making your pyramid of food in America. <laughs> right. right. What's New York then? Fuck. It's a good one. Hot, dirty water hot dog. Yeah. Or, or some would say the or, pizza. Or the pastrami sandwich. The slice of pizza. I don't think it's pizza. New York pizza. Yeah. Philly's got cheesesteak. Chicago, people just automatically gravitate to deep dish. I don't even know if that's the right Their answer. Their hot dogs are fantastic. In Chicago. Chicago. Yes. Chicago dogs are great. Uh, My favorite thing in Chicago is Garrett's popcorn. I was just there... I know you made a face. What, what is that? You like that that fake flavored popcorn? I like watching them. You do the mix thing, and it's got the uh, the sugary side, whatever that one's called, and then the cheese side, and then they put it together and they shake it up, and it's that's delicious. how you make your macaroni and cheese. I just think it, I just <laughs> like it. I like seeing it in the airport. It's the only thing I've ever bought in the airport that I'll actually eat. DC, Baltimore, Mid Atlantic's the crab cake. Uh, you get to the south, I'd say it's barbecue. Right? Yeah. Is fried All chicken anywhere in there? Fried chicken shit. It's my favorite thing in America. I would have to agree with you. Fried chicken. I mean, you can put divvy up the south between barbecue and fried chicken. Florida. A couple of times when Kyle does a Sunday night podcast, we'll get dinner. And a couple of times football too. And we got the Kuchun. The fried <laughs> chicken. Kuchun. Kuchun, the fried chicken. It's the happiest I've ever seen him. Is are you chicken nuggets or chicken tenders fingers, man? Uh, you had, can only eat one the rest of your life. What's it going to be? You said nuggets or fingers. I'm a boneless fingers. like strips of chicken. Yeah, fingers. Yeah, yeah fingers. I like those. McDonald's nuggets. Do you like those? Wendy's is the best. I Wendy's spicy. No, I don't know. By the way, just because it's something that I can never forgive the ringer for. Yeah. When a few years don't ago, don't talk about the fast food apocalypse. Don't talk now. It's the Waffle darkest fries? moment in Ringer history. What, what happened? No, it's tough. It was like Russian interference or something. It's, it's crazy. terrible. How could you guys live with yourselves? Letting that be out in the world. It's like the 2003 NBA finals <laughs> of Ringer moments. Just, just really bad. We don't talk about it. The most upset I've ever seen Joe House. He never even... Chick-fil-A waffle fries. Are you guys... It's so mind? bad. <laughs> so bad. It's, it's, it's right up there with one of the worst takes of all time. It's really bad. Yeah. What is, what about uh, California, in your opinion, best food? Because you have to go some sort of fresh fish type situation, right? I think right? you got to no? break up California. It's different, right? I'm not too aware of the cuisine of Northern California, but if it's San Francisco, what would you say San Francisco is? Fisherman stew? It's funny because people would go Chinese food, but the Chinese food scene actually isn't that great not there. So, not so strong. Yeah, because right? it has such a giant Chinatown. Actually, how many restaurants in that Chinatown would you actually be, like, super excited to eat at? San Francisco has arguably the best fancy high-end dining in yeah. America. But in terms of an actual food to rally around, 
I don't think they have it. I don't know. I don't think they have one thing. The, don't they have that the like the sourdough bread bowl soup thing? That's the got. That's got to be a, a Bill Simmons like, that like a bread really, bowl. That soup, is really good. Right? I have, I have strong. Uh, I love San Francisco just to go visit. It's one of my favorite places to spend two days in. But um, that baseball park when they built it and all the food options. Oh, the French they fries. Had, just, good. just going in that hole after they built it in the outfield and the third base side, and they just had it was like, oh, this is cool. There's actually good food in the ballpark. Well, I think the that reason awesome. why you like San Francisco, it's the Boston of the West Coast. Yeah, I've heard that. <laughs> I've heard that. I like cities where you go. I'm going to get you, murdered for that one. No, they we but we get that. It's on the water. It's it's when you go. There's a specific downtown, and there's specific places everyone hits. I still think Boston is the best downtown for a tourist because you can basically go to four pockets and get a feel for everything. Boston has one of my favorite seafood restaurants, though. Neptune. You've yeah. been there. That place is oh, fucking yeah. unbelievable. I love the, that place. Well, that's like two-hour wait every time. I know. I know. Well, got to figure out how to cut in line. I think the two-hour wait thing is one of the best um, marketing tools We've talked about It's that. almost like you could hire 100 actors and just have them standing outside and do it for a week and people will be like, oh, I got to get into that place. I What's bet going you on places there? have actually done that. You think so? Yeah. What's the food of Los Angeles then? The taco? Taco? It's the ta it's it's taco. It depends because it's such a diverse place, but I, I would say... The best represents Los Angeles. I think it's got to be the taco. But, but you're not a huge taco guy. You eat them. No, I, I am a huge taco Is guy. I love ta tacos. Is that a true statement? He's seen drink. me get it quite often. He's mm -hmm. seen me. Yeah, Taco to in Larchmont. <laughs> but no, I think Koreatown has really thrown LA on its ear because no, so much of the good food is now happening in Koreatown. It is, I don't know but I still means. think the, 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 the symbolic food of Los Angeles will always be the taco. I agree. I think that's fair. Um, burgers. Cheeseburgers? They're everywhere. Fast food. LA is the, Southern California is the, the, the like, it's Nirvana for fast food. So that was the thing when I moved out here in 02, the, the fast food options were the immediately the most shocking to me. Like it was just such a higher level of fast food. What's and your fast food of choice? Eat well, Shake Shack? I, no, you know I love you Chick I love Chick-fil-A. Man. I told you how when when Chick-fil-A got canceled for like nine months, I snuck in a couple of times, <laughs> my hat pulled down. So I just I was like a drug addict. I was like, but I, I gotta get listen, some chicken nuggets in. If you take away their shitty politics and their stance on people in general. <laughs> if you just look at the sandwich, it's really not that good. Really is not that good. There are there are versions of it now that it compete pretty heavily. I just like it. I like the vibe. I like how fast it is. Because he's of the younger generation. What are your thoughts, Kyle? Chick-fil-A? Uh, Chick I like Kyle's. the sauces. Yeah, the sauces. Good sauce. You like Chick-fil-A sauce. Good, really good Polynesian. milkshakes, I think, Great. for fast food, too. Polynesian. I think they got to change that name in 2020. <laughs> Can I laugh at that? Yeah, oh, okay. you can laugh at that. <laughs> um, what else? Oh, we could go on. Texas is barbecue. Texas is barbecue, just point blank. All right. I like when you said you take away their shitty politics. What was the other thing you said? Take and their, their stance on people in general. And their stance on people in general. <laughs> that could go for about 20 companies. I just yeah, you're, right, to, you're, just right, you're right. You're right. You're I mean, right. We can't just single them out. <clears throat> but Chick-fil-A, their food just isn't. That, but maybe I'm just projecting my jealousy of their <laughs> crazy success, you know? 
Well, you, you can't kill chickens fast enough. That's really the tagline. Well, you did your version of chicken we still sandwich. Have it. it did well. It's doing great. It's in Barclays. But I think it's a better... We serve dark... This is a thing. We serve dark meat. We're now transitioning to more white meat because... That's we, what Ludo Bird does here, too. It's staples. Dark, dark meat only for the chicken tenders. And, and I'm like, I'm not a dark meat guy. Sorry. I... I know you are. Sleep, no, I don't want to sound like a... a, a <laughs> this is a racist statement, but... If you had to divide the world, American, white Americans love white chicken breast meat. The rest of the world, for the most part, there's certainly exceptions. Kyle is obviously one of them. But Uncle Bill likes white breast meat versus dark. The rest of the world seems to like dark meat. This is another, my son Ben Simmons likes dark meat. Because he's, he's a different kind of cat. He's a different kind coolest of cat. Guy, coolest guy in our family. I think he's been introduced to a lot of cool things and yeah. he's got good palate he also eats three-day-old sushi you were just saying earlier yeah i want to talk about that that's that's unacceptable you so can't we, do that. we got sushi on friday night i always over order because he eats it in the morning the next morning for breakfast then he ate it again for dinner because we over ordered i thought zoe was gonna be home and, and with her friend and they ended up going to dinner and then sunday morning about 11 o'clock range so this is 40 hours after the sushi had been delivered he was back in eating the tuna on top of the rice cakes, plowing that home. I'm not. It seemed it seemed uh, questionable. It's not questionable. I don't think the only thing that's questionable is the rice is going to be hard and not very good to eat. The rice itself. He doesn't care. But you think the fish itself? Fish is fine. Okay. Most of the fish you eat in sushi restaurants is frozen anyway. Right. You've explained that on yeah, previous yeah, pods. Yeah. I think I've So you haven't been on my pod in a while. What's yeah. what's the biggest food trend? We're two months into 2020. It feels to me like the impossible burger, beyond burger, vegan thing has been the biggest thing that's changed over the last 12 months. Even if you look on like the yeah. Postmates Caviar sites, like they have a ton of vegan options now, at least in LA. You know, I don't I, know if it's spread <laughs> to the other cities yet. Um I think it's Probably been one of the bigger things, obviously, beyond going public and going bananas and then coming back down to earth a little bit um, in the war between impossible and beyond. Uh, obviously, I have to refer impossible, but uh, I don't think that's the biggest story. I think the biggest story is the rise of food delivery. But that was last year, too. It's, you think it's exponentially bigger? That's going to be the story of the next 10 years. Yeah. I really And what it does to restaurants. It's going to completely decimate the business, I think. Yeah. So your theory is almost like with movies where it became harder and harder to get people to go to a movie theater unless it was a movie you had to see in the theater. Mm -hmm. Otherwise, people would just wait till it was on demand or they could rent it or whatever. They'll stay home with their nice TV. You're worried that the food delivery business is now undercutting the restaurant business in a way that is no longer good for the restaurant business. Yeah. I mean, if you just look at the numbers... I mean, I'm just going off the top of my head, like an average restaurant, if it's a profitable restaurant, which is hard enough, I'd probably say it ranges anywhere from 5 to 15%. And if you're really chugging, it's like 18 to 20% uh, net. So if you're doing 5 to 10%, that's your sort of bottom line. I think you're losing that 5 to 10% at minimum right now with delivery as a competitor. Because now you're not just competing against one restaurant, you're competing against... The entire city. Yeah. And it's not that every meal is being ordered in, but I'd say three or four per week now. So three to four per week, pretty much 
adds up to five to fifteen percent of the of the market, in my opinion. So, I think the I'm concerned because I think that it's not going to go away. We have to figure out how to make it work because it's sort of could be indentured servitude. Uh, it's a model that has to improve for the actual restaurants. I don't give it too too much. I don't care too much about the the delivery service, but you know, I, do I use them? Yeah. Do I use Postmates stuff? Yeah. But I'm trying to figure out what the model is because a lot of these services take at minimum 30% of the top line of a restaurant without going to too many specifics. It just is a, a model that is not going to work long term. So I don't know what the fuck the future holds, but I have a lot of concern. Quick break to talk about Simply Safe with Home Security two ways. Two ways. I repeat, two ways you can go about protecting your home. The traditional way where you wait weeks for a technician to do a messy installation that costs a small fortune or the other way, Simply Safe. Everything you need in a home security system, award-winning protection. The two-time winner of the CNET Editor's Choice Award. Simply Safe blankets your whole home in safety. You barely notice it's there, but what's truly remarkable is you can set up this system all by yourself. Anyone can do it. 30 minutes, an hour, tops. And there's absolutely no trade-offs to your safety. You'll have an army of highly trained security experts ready to dispatch police to your home in a moment's notice, 24-7. Go to simplysafe.com slash BS and get a free Simply Safe security camera. Normally $100. Go today. It's free. It will help you capture crucial evidence for the police and get 350% faster dispatch. Go to simplysafe.com slash BS. Simply Safe with two eyes. Simplysafe.com slash BS. So when you see like in LA, DoorDash was exclusive with John and Vinny's. When a deal like that happens, what does that mean to be exclusive, to have a restaurant be exclusive to a service? Well, the restaurant, if DoorDash asks us, I'm sure we probably would have to say yes too because they're driving so much traffic. And DoorDash benefits because they're getting, you know, the brand recognition of John and Vinny's, right? So it's a win-win. I'm When I say people are going to lose, it's not the proven players like John and Vinny's, right? That's like a iconic, LA yeah. institution now. It's all the restaurants that are trying to be like John and Vinny's that won't get the opportunity. That gives me concern, right? So um, I don't know. I'm not a economics expert, but I, I think that the model is not there yet. I know a lot of people are working on it, but... Do you see a world in which there's less tables and more of the restaurant is geared toward food delivery, but also we have some tables too, but maybe half as many tables as we used to have? Yeah, I've always actually sort of thought that because that's why I started to get into food delivery myself. The two things that we started back, you know, a few years ago, because there's going to have to be some kind of better balance uh, of a restaurant delivering food, but also serving food in the four walls of a restaurant. But I don't know what the future of restaurants look because it's not going to be in the four walls of a restaurant, which means restaurants aren't going to go away. They're just going to be a specific kind of restaurants. We've talked about this. They're going to be shit that you can't deliver ultimately. But, um, you know, we all want to go out to eat, but do you think that we've lost the meaning of going out to dinner? You know, think about 20 years ago. I would hope not. I still love, I mean, we went out to dinner two weeks ago. It was really fun. That was great. But do you feel that there's a generation or just diners in general now with so many options, the food's so good right now across the board, for most people, not everyone, that it's not as special as it used to be. Like getting dinner with you and we, you know, because Bill's in the <clears throat> my Asian-American club. He's a I have honorary card. card member, right? We go out with Cho and Yang and, and Chris Chen. 
Like, that's a thing because we rarely get together and that's what's a special thing. But recently we went to Park's Barbecue, which if I walked in by myself, they would just stare at me for three hours and be like, yeah, we don't have any tables. A special thing. But what if you wound up going there without me and you start getting that treatment and you get it every day. That's the true Asian card if I get if I yeah. can pull that off. But I feel like that you, people are getting a little bit desensitized to it because it's like too much, right? I think. So I still love going out to dinner. I love sitting across the table and catching up with somebody and like in that case at Parks Barbecue where we've been there a couple of times yeah. but that stew they have you know, and you kind of go, you're taking it for Jigen. granted. It's like seeing LeBron in person after 15 years. And you're like, oh man, I forgot LeBron is fucking incredible. I'm glad you brought up, and I'm glad you like the the stew they have at Park called gochujang jjigae. So, you know, a lot of the Korean barbecue shops they don't get as much credit as they should for their broths, right? Your big soup guy. All the beef scraps turn into an amazing beef beef soup, and they add that with gochujang, which is a Korean fermented chili paste and a few other vegetables, and you have basically like a the best Korean chili of all time. Some right? some vegetables, vegetables and then there's some potatoes. Yeah. Some, but soft so, potatoes. So good. I think it's the best dish, consistently best dish in Los Angeles for me. I think you're sort of on that same wavelength right now. What was the other one we went to that you blew up in the shopping center? Oh, Sunungdong. Yeah. Because that was the other one that had the great stew. Yeah. I like I, I they, like they, don't, they don't give me any fucking time of day. Hey, you wait in line for two, two hours. <laughs> yeah, I like it. Though. I like that. <laughs> yeah, but uh, yeah, they're like the one of the NBA referee that's not impressed by any superstar. Absolutely, it's like, yeah, they don't yeah. give a shit. No, that was a travel. I'm calling it. I was talking to a chef. I won't blow him up, but they were saying that this whole world of food and food media and just access to good food and people sort of getting their dopamine levels up because they're constantly just eating good shit always is like, like porn addiction for everyone with food. They're just at a point now where they're just like, well, that's not enough. I need to see more shit. I was like, huh, that's a crazy way to think about it. But I think there's something there. And that's what I'm afraid of is dining has lost like that sense of like, I don't know what that is. You know what I mean? Because so now like, everyone knows. So if you had a porn addiction, you're going to categories and you're just banging out whatever your <laughs> predilection is. And if you're like, where's Joe House when you need him? Yeah, Fuck. where is he? Joe House is the perfect person yeah. to blend these these conversations. Um, but with food, it's like I just love chicken parm. Where am I? Where am I getting my chicken parm tonight? But that's, but that's the thing is you're constantly looking for the best chicken parm. So you could be chicken parmed out potentially. You you think? Could you? Well, I had. I went to Medeo again last week or this week and had the, uh, they had the veal chop, but you can ask them to do it Parmesan style. I still feel, to but me, how it's often the, are you eating to me it's the, or chicken parm? Very, I, I'm very, as you know, very squeamish about the veal order. Right. Especially when it's in a chop thing. Cause I think it can go wrong. I don't like, I, I don't like rolling the dice. But you don't want chicken parm with exception. Chicken parm is, is more reliable. Is it once a week parm. for you? Yeah, probably. I'm a huge fan. I'm half Italian. My mom made pasta fazool yesterday. She, she never, I, other than the banana pudding thing that you made. It's going to happen. I'm making it happen. She's she's reconciling her feelings about show after seeing some of the uh, <laughs> ugly, delicious content. She's she's not sure. He's a little R-rated. Yeah, he's a little R-rated. She's she's she wants to make sure. I vouch for him. She trusts me. <laughs> but um, yeah, she made the pasta fazool, which is, um, I don't know where you stand on that. 
I don't even know what do, what is pasta fazool. It's basically it's like a soup, right? It's a soup, but it's got pasta in it. It's always piping hot. You put cheese on the top. Some people put like little tiny meatballs in it. Other people don't. And it's just delicious. It's basically like spaghetti stew. But, but again, like li- if, but if little round little pasta. If things. you had it every day or like every other week, it'd lose its sort of luster. Well, that's one where you have Kyle would have a giant bowl of it. Then he would go in the back and sit in the massage chair and pass out because it's just like it, it's basically like eating a coma. But it, Kyle, if you had it every day, you'd get sick of it, right? No doubt. I don't know. You wouldn't get sick of Jamie's food. No, you would eat. You would eat Jamie's food every day. I mean, I could be a bit of an ingrate at times. I think you know it's. But if it's it, every day. I'd be like, yeah. Yeah, like, but I think that's what's happening with food in general. It's becoming commoditized, and I don't know if that's a good or bad thing. But it's getting harder and harder for restaurants to be like, this is what's you know, this is what we're going to do to keep you interested. So. Um, I don't know, man. Some crazy shit. The right good now. thing is, some stuff just doesn't travel well with food delivery. One hundred percent. Well, pizza is the best. Chinese food and fried chicken are two and three. Fries, they have just not been able to figure out because it's not possible. Fries die in the vine after ten minutes, and there's just no way around it. It's just the not the only be as way. Good. There's there's someone I know that's trying to make food in general in the vehicle as it gets to you. Mm, oh wow! That's shit. how fries will happen. Yeah. That That's interesting. It. So, yeah. That's so going to be think, the game changer. So, for 2020, you still have food delivery as the number one story right now. It will. There's two things. <laughs> I feel like, like a political talking head about fucking food. It's food delivery, and it's going to be environment in terms of how you can get ingredients. And three is going to be, like, you know, labor issues because there's just too many restaurants. It's just too many fucking restaurants. You should do... This should be like a Bernie Sanders type talking point for you. There's too many restaurants. We need to have more people with a seat at the table. You know, one of my favorite things in the world is when you do impersonations in general. This is Bernie's great. one of the only ones I can do. Um, but yeah, I, there's I don't too know. much sushi. We're taking the sushi out of the hands of the sushi chefs, <laughs> and they need a seat at the table. I don't know what's going to happen, but. The thing that I think we're all worried about is the coronavirus. And yeah. um, I just think other than washing your hands and keeping your employees home if they have a meal, like that's the thing I'm uh, I'm really worried about as it affects not just restaurant business. It's like everything, right? So we'll see what yeah, happens. Yeah, I mean, we're taping this on a Friday. By the time people do this on Tuesday, it might be three times worse. We have no... And I don't want to talk too much about it because I don't want to incite panic or anything, but I'm a paranoid person in general, even on a really good day. So yeah. <laughs> this has me up at night for sure. How old is your son right now? Just turned one. What kind of food, what, what are the staples now? Is he in the mac and cheese phase yet? He's slowly eating pasta. Oh, so yeah. I cook almost all the stuff for him for the most part. She eats like a real champion. This is where you gain probably eight pounds right now from one to one and a half. Oh, you've been telling me this. Start eating, they start eating more fun stuff, but they only finish like one third of it. And you're just like, oh man, what a waste of mac and cheese. I got, I, I just am going to have to finish that for him. Well, that's, you're right. That's happened. Like as breakfast. Like, I, yeah. The difference is I can make him things that maybe a normal person can't. So I was like, True. I was like, oh, you know what? He wants to eat bread, but it's got to be soft. I was like, oh, I'm just going to make him uh, crepes because pancakes will be too thick for him. So I make him crepes and I put some spinach and some Parmesan. It's great. You talk about somebody who's going to be desensitized <laughs> when he's older. 
Again, yeah, I'm actually worried about he's that. He's dating shit, some girl. She's like, hey, let me make you some eggs. And they suck. And he's like, what the fuck? It's crossed my mind for sure. But he he's, uh, you know, it's awesome. I actually love making his food. And um, I wish I, instead of actually opening restaurants, I just got into baby food or pet food. I wouldn't have to deal with fucking customers ever. It would be a blessing. What would you, how would you change baby food? What would be your three moves? It just, the, the store-bought shit is not tasty. No. And I've tasted them all. Yeah. Some of them are okay if they're a fruit, fruit puree, but my 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 two cents is I don't I haven't tried one that I, is compelling enough. You know, Jennifer Garner has her brand Once Upon a Farm. I'm learning all the shit. So Yeah. That th- that's pretty good, I guess for for purees and such, but for the most part, it's pretty easy to make it yourself if you just freeze it, but you know, I'm not going to go into a whole lesson of how to make baby food, but maybe one day. Is there meat in baby foods ever? So for dinner, Hugo eats salmon, <laughs> salmon, turkey, chicken, or beef, usually with some rice. Are you blending that stuff up? or no, I boil it down with with some cooked rice and, uh, and uh, avocado. So breakfast, he eats a soft-boiled egg. He doesn't eat hard-boiled eggs. <laughs> He's already turning into a food food weirdo and yogurt or some oatmeal and then lunch is a vegetable puree and then dinner is some kind of salmon rice type of thing he eats really well it's like some kind of uh keto diet keto diet thing but uh most dads dream of having like that first catch with their kid and you like that that first yeah parks barbecue stew that he can finally I'm, I'm, eat without it singeing his intestines Dude, what, how old is it? How old do you have to be? Like eight? I, I'm trying to figure out how to give, get him spicy food. How do, yeah, do how do you indoctrinate do do him in the spicy? I don't know. I don't know when to do that. And I try to sneak food to him while my wife's not looking because she's like, oh, you can't, you know, like it's too salty. Like to me, he likes salty things, but I guess they're kidding. So maybe zone. you just put like little tastes on his tongue, get him used that's to what, it. That's what I've been doing. She doesn't know that. She's <laughs> now she does. <laughs> But man, like I can't believe the kid thing, and I get to list do actually do like parent corner stuff with you. So it's it's like, yeah, man, you, it's the best. You had the one year birthday party, right? Yeah. Well, the the you have like multiple parties during that first. The hundred day is a big one. I've learned that as I got my Asian card. I heard <laughs> yeah. about the three different he's, parties. He's, Korean's getting better, and then the the one year is called the dole, and that's where they get dressed up in the Korean traditional clothing and usually mostly families there and they choose like, you know, a pencil, paintbrush, money. And that's like a, basically some kind of fortune telling of what they might do. My son chose a stethoscope and I was like, that's not going to happen. <laughs> There's no Dr. Chang's. We don't have that DNA. <laughs> Too volatile. Too volatile. No. Screaming at patients. Yeah. Professional gambler. Yes. I could see that. <laughs> Oh, you know what we haven't talked about since the last time I saw you in a podcast? What's that? Parasite winning like seven Oscars. The yeah. greatest the greatest moment since Linsanity for the Asian American community. You know, man, it was, I, I still can't <laughs> believe it happened. I'm speechless. But I have to say, he, Parasite and Director Bong fucked it up for everyone else. Why? Because now it's like, whatever you do, in the non-lawyer financial academic centers, if you try to do something in the creative fields, they're gonna be like, well, you have to win four Oscars now. 
Oh, you think the tiger moms are going to be pointing in Paris? 100%. So now I think Korean parents are going to take their kids off the golf course and send them to like film, film school. And it's like, you better win five Oscars. Because that's your measurement. That's your measure of success now. Yeah. Unbelievable. Who, who could have ever guessed? I certainly couldn't. I just, it's weird that it happened. I'm so happy. But I can't believe it happened. I mean... What do you think in your whole five-year rule? Is that something we're going to look back on and be like, that was worthy or should it have been Once It'd Upon be a Time? It'd be interesting. A lot of people love that movie. My initial instinct was that Once Upon a Time would be the five-year, but I really think people love Parasite and I think people are re-watching it too, which is, especially when it hits like HBO or Cinemax or whatever, it's on Amazon or it's on Netflix. I think it, I think it does have a rewatchability to it. So we'll see. You know, my wife's not a huge fan of me saying this too. Because, like, everyone I know that's Korean is like, they love it. It's the best. I think it's a great movie. And I know I'm Korean. I need to be saying it's the greatest movie of all time. I'm 100% overjoyed, and I wanted them to win everything. I just, I'm not at the level to say it's, like, the best movie anyone's ever seen. And that's, to me, the hyperbole, and I think warranted because we've been waiting for this moment. Everyone thought we we're going to have a Black Panther. I just don't think anyone thought would be Koreans this. was going to be this. So that's what I'm excited about. But like, I want to make sure that it has legs, right? So for this to really have the impact culturally, it's got to continue to be the best in class where you can't really say maybe Once Upon a Time in Hollywood was the maybe overall better movie. I liked it. I didn't love it, but I also saw it on my TV with the subtitles, harder to read because it's on a TV versus the giant big screen. I think if you're trapped in the theater with it, it was it would have been a different experience. Yeah, it's dense and, you know, a lot of re repeating themes throughout his movies. And it's just, a, it's a brilliant movie. So I just, what's, what's the pantheon now? Where's Bong? Bong in, in Asian culture right now? Yeah, is he is he's he, the number one. He's number one. Yeah, he's, he's, yeah, he's he has like, the championship belt. There's not, there's no one even close, right? Remember when Steve Yoon had the belt for yeah, like Steve six Yoon months? Had, well, Steve's, this has been an amazing year for Korean actors and directors. Steve is coming out with a movie. Uh, I think A24 is coming out with it oh, called Minari. Good. Yeah, that's a And big it won movie. Sundance. Yeah. And uh, it's basically a story about Korean immigrants going to, I think, Arkansas as chicken farmers and that whole story. And I think Steve is just an amazing actor. And I'm so happy that I think this movie is going to crush for him and the director. So Walking Dead died when they killed him off. I have me. not watched an episode since. I was ne I never. I was out within a couple episodes. I couldn't believe that was the one guy I would not have killed. But the only thing that's Walking Dead's inspired me to do is uh, I've been looking at a katana blade on Amazon. <laughs> you need that. You need that. I really have. It's Show, in my safe for later list. Show will buy it. So who did Bong, who did Bong take the championship belt from? I don't know. He might Probably. have taken it from you. No. No, I think he no. might have. Again, Koreans don't rally around me. I'm just too white for most Koreans. He's a real Korean. I, I'm I'm a fake, you know, I, yes, he's like the real deal. Well, he's a he, genius. He's a fucking genius. The best thing is he was, he was talking the talk as he was winning the, the trophies going, oh, you can just tell. I was like, I'm really partying tonight. This is going to be a really fun night. And then that's what actually yeah, happened. He got shit-faced. It was a legendary party. Where was they, it? They Korea went to Town? Soban, yeah. Uh, which is an amazing restaurant. And I'm so happy that they went there because now 
a lot of people in Los Angeles are more aware of what has been already accepted. But as that was like a seven o'clock night, right? Was in no, the go all night? Yeah, they reopened. Um, from what I heard, but uh, yeah, dude. and you you weren't here. I wasn't here. You missed basically the Asian Super Bowl. My, but here's the thing, my Korean. Sucks. You missed. It was the Redskins winning the Super Bowl for. This. Yeah, but I would have been felt weird. Like years ago, like 10 years ago, my Korean was pretty good. Now that Hugo has like children's books, yeah. like basic Korean books, we're learning Korean <laughs> together essentially. <laughs> it's pretty embarrassing because I never speak it. It's like the whole muscle memory is dead. Have you met Bong? I have not met Bong. We got to get Bong on your podcast. I know. I got to improve my Korean. We just get the... Oh, I guess that would be tough because we need the translator. No, I mean, I'd I still could, listen to it. He could talk to me and I could respond back in English pretty well, I think. But that would be weird. <laughs> Maybe it's like a 20. Yeah, <laughs> that's that, really weird. Yeah. Now I'm thinking about it. <laughs> Man, he's, he's, a, he's a genius. And Actually, I, now with Spotify, they'll probably be able to translate, we'll translate it. They'll it, just right? like click a button. All right, Director Bong. He's he's older, so I have to call him like Young or something like that. We'll What's brother. his, What I wonder what his next thing is. He's, he's got that Adam McKay career. thing. They're doing Parasite. Is that actually going to happen? I think that's going to happen. Do you think that happened in the sense that, like, we didn't think it was going to be? I feel like the they winner? have to abandon that now. I don't think so. Because the movie is so big now, it's like you can't do the TV version of the movie now that the movie. There's became so what many it became. Korean things in that movie. I don't know how that translates, but that's not up to me. You know, that's going to be that they're they'll figure out how, how it translates to like American culture. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's take a break. I want to tell you about two podcasts on the Ringer Podcast Network. One is an exclusive to Spotify hosted by Chuck Klosterman and Chris Ryan. It's called Music Exists. It's excellent deep dive conversations about music and its role in society, culture, sports, you name it. Last week's podcast was called Where Do Sports and Music Meet? I think this is really good. You've heard both of those guys on this podcast, and if you like them, I promise you'll like Music Exists as well. The other podcast I want to tell you about, Against All Odds. Remember our old friend, Cousin Sal? He shows up on Sunday nights, does guest aligns with me, do it for like 22 straight weeks, and then he disappears so he can do his other four jobs. Well, he still has a podcast for us. It's called Against All Odds. And last week he did a whole thing about Brady's future. He had... The doctor who's on on Twitter all the time, breaking down NFL injuries, Dr. David Chow. Yeah, he had that guy on. He had the Super 70s sports guy on recently. Every week something's going on. And this is really when Sal thrives, when there's no football and he can just go out of his way to find the most ridiculous bets on the planet to break down. March Madness coming up and a whole bunch of other things, hopefully. But check out Against All Odds with Cousin Sal and the Trifecta. Two of the many podcasts we have here on the Ringer Podcast Network, not to mention David Chang's as well. You should check that out too. Back to the pod. Tell us about your book. Yeah. Wait, shit. it's coming out May it's 19th. It's coming out May 19th. Uh, Random House Clarkson Parter would love for you guys to pre-order this right now. Great. Um, it's, it's something that was signed like four or five years ago, and um, I just delayed doing it until I couldn't delay it anymore. Um, and I, it's just weird. You I mean you wrote a book, but it was a book of basketball. It's not about your life, right? This is <laughs> my life, and it's weird. And I don't know how to feel about it. It's very strange. It's a memoir. It's a memoir. Yeah. You know. But to people who followed your career, they'll have a general gist of some of the things you're hitting. But you're going pretty deep in some of them. 
Yeah, I don't, I mean, it definitely talks about a little bit of my upbringing, but not too much because that talks about food, talks about like mental health, but it sort of covers sort of starting Momo to present day. And um, I, I'm nervous because letting that out in the world is yeah, like, Yeah, you put shit. it out, you put yourself out there. Yeah, you're like, fuck. And yeah. ultimately people no, say I'm it here. sucks, you're like, fuck. <laughs> I would say though, the one of the trends of the last five, six years, I think with writing is it's gotten way more personal. Yeah. And a lot of it is like, here's what happened to me. Like this was, here's a, here's a story about this one damaging thing that happened to me and how it shaped me to be the person I am now. Or here's, here's how I battled this thing and I got through it and now I'm here. Right. Seems to be like an actual genre now. I mean, the Players' Tribune over and over again has pieces from athletes where it's like I hit rock bottom and then I came back. Here's my story. When do you think that started, that sense of like... Twi you know, I think when Twitter took off. Like because now players are just completely open about their anxieties or their depression or the highs and lows. Like when that never happened 10 years ago. It didn't happen five years ago. Who was it's the first? It's been pretty recent. Um, Kevin Love advanced a little bit. I that think was not that long. It was like three years ago, two years yeah, ago. Two years Shit. ago. I think a weird tipping point was in when I did the Sloan conference with Adam last year and he was so open about being concerned about the players and their, and their mental health and stuff. And that I felt like made it more real hmm. that the commissioner of the league was like, I'm worried about the sanity of my players. Um, but that I also, I worry, I think about this stuff a lot. I, Obviously, I, we have a lot of young people that work here, and it's just like, you know, I, I think social media, I think all this stuff makes me nervous. And people online all the time and or checking stuff and constant feedback and the Instagram culture. I think about it all the time with my kids. Well, that's a, sort of the same thing I was talking about food. It's just like too much, right? How do we find a way to... It's not people trying to, yeah, the thing that's, and I'm not the first one to ever make this point, but the thing that scares me about the Instagram and especially seeing with my kids is you're always trying to present the best per version of your life at all times. Right. And that was what that movie, um, eighth grade, which I think came out last year, did really well, where it's like this you girl on your pod, right? Yeah. And this girl who has this really sad kind of life, but has this Instagram version of it that seems like it's a little more fun. And I, I think there's, I think a lot of people have trouble finding that balance of I'm constantly trying to pretend I'm having more fun and doing better than I actually am, mm. you know, and that's, that's where it gets dangerous. This is going to be like, well, probably too serious for the BS show, but no, we, we like you, when it gets do serious. Do you think sometimes. that this is something that I've been thinking a lot about and we did, we actually talked about it at some length in the steak episode for this season, ugly delicious. And this ties into sort of the concept of what I've been talking about food, like too much access to something like, uh, do you feel that we are eliminating suffering and the pain of like trusting the process more or less the best way to describe it and editing out all of that just to show this perfect plastic, like sense of perfection. And that's fucking everything up. It's like instant gratification society. Yeah. But the idea of happiness to me, weirdly, and that's why I think we have the cover of like a peach rolling up the hill on the book, which is called Eat a Peach, is that maybe happiness is doing the hard work and not the actual moment of happiness, right? Because that's always fleeting. 
And the way I describe it with food and steak is, and this is weirdly the analogy that I've been thinking to myself, is if the three of us were here in California 40,000 years ago and we were hungry and we had to support our family and Kyle's a terrible hunter, but you're awesome and whatever. We <laughs> I knew it would be that way in the analogy. <laughs> right? Like we've been hungry for 30 days and then we kill some woolly mammoth. Yeah. And then we're like, dude, I'm going to start the fire. This is going to be the best. Right? You got the salt. You got the knife. And we're going to feed like 30 people of our closest friends and family that night where everyone's hungry. It's going to be the, the best day of our lives. We're going to remember that. And then we, you know, we process it. We try to store some of the meat. But, you know, a month goes by. We're out of all the meat. And we're like, all you're thinking of, oh, shit, we're going to have to do this again. This sucks. Right? But if that was every day, we're not going to really appreciate that moment of eating something. And I think that over time, just meat eating, because the world over, even if you're a vegan, we all came here because we ate meat. You know, in, in the steakhouse is like Bill the, Bill the Butcher time in uh, Gangs of New York. If you want to go eat steak, it was called a beef steakhouse. You literally walk through the carcasses. Yeah. And it's a celebration. We all celebrate over meat. Or we not everyone these days, right? For environmental reasons or whatever. Can you imagine going to a restaurant today, walking through carcasses of cows hanging and then being like, yeah, I'm going to have that cut there and I want it bloody. That's what APL does. <laughs> right, sort of. <laughs> but like, those are vestiges of it. And yeah. I know this sounds crazy and you can edit the shit out, but like, now... We don't, we don't edit the BS part. Now, like, even like when you went to Morton's, they would like bring out the steak on the cart and tell you, this is, the, this is what we're going to cook for you. Yeah. We now can go to a steakhouse and not even know that, you know, like a cow died for it. <laughs> or right. it was aged for 40 days, Bill's favorite. And now we're just like, that's what I want and give it to me now. Like we completely eliminated the process of like, you know, this fucking cow, whatever, whatever, or, or it's so expensive. So the suffering, in my opinion, has now been translated to, um, you know, cost or whatever. I'm, I'm losing my mind like I smoke pot or something, but it's like. I can't quite figure out no, how I know, to... I know where you're going because you're talking about impatience. Yeah, but how do we get back to a point in eating where it's like that moment where like, this is fucking awesome. I'm so glad to be breaking bread with you. Let's get fucking drunk. Let's remember the good times. We're, this was so fucking hard to get here. And that's what I want to do with restaurants, right? Yeah. I don't think restaurants are going to go away, but like, how do we get it to it's like like that? You know what I mean? I don't know what I just said. Kyle's no, looking at me like, what the fuck? I, I actually followed it. Kyle followed it. Yeah. No, I think, you know, when you talk about things being fleeting, that's kind of a side conversation what you just said. But like when if you achieve something and then if you achieve it, the whole what do I do next? Some right. people, some people kind of fold from the moment. Other people like the process of it's the process that is attractive to them, not the actual winning. And you look at like any of the great athletes they win the title. They celebrate it for five hours. The next day they're in the gym. Yeah, Belichick's like, okay, we won. <laughs> next. It's, like, it's like Brady's famous quote about what was your favorite Super Bowl? He's like, the next one. Those are like, somebody like Steph Curry wins two titles in a row. He's at the gym the next day. He's shooting shots. And yeah, you cover this all the time on your podcast when you talk to athletes. It's like the Super Bowl hangover, right? You've experienced it. Like, I don't want to work as hard now. And yeah. that's the problem is how do we convince ourselves to fucking work harder 
I don't think it's possible. I think people don't want to because why would someone want to experience like intense suffering unless you're a crazy person like Kobe or Michael Jordan? Kobe you know? had some interesting quotes about this too. He, he was big about, um, and it's funny because when Kobe was alive, he was like a little bit of a character with some of this stuff and the Mamba and we would kind of make fun of it. And then after he died and people were reciting some of the stuff that like he really believed in, it seems so much more profound. And this was one of the things that he talked about. He was like, it's about the day to day. It's about every day treating what you do with the proper amount of respect and dedication. And that's how you win. It's not about, oh, I did this. It's about, do you have the will day after day to try to work towards something? Yeah, and, he said it way more articulate than I just Yeah, yeah. no, but it's like, that's a real thing. And I do worry about that with, um, especially younger people when, because, you know, they, we all the cliche jokes about the trophy generation and all, the participation trophy generation, all that stuff. But, you know, the people that still are going to make it are the people that put in the time and don't expect things are going to get handed to them after a certain amount of time. It's the people that are like, I, I want to be great at this. How do I become great? How do I keep putting in hours? How do I learn from people? How do I listen to people? How do I keep adding things year after year? Those are the people that make it. Like, I, I, I always love it when you talk about, you know, now that you have the podcast, the book of basketball, and, and all your writing about the secret, and it's not about you, it's the team, and being sort of empathetic enough to your teammates, all these things. And it's not a surprise to me that, all the athletes that have historically won year after year, they always talk to all these people and they have the same work ethic. Why is it that it's not clear to everyone else that this is what they should be doing? That's what I don't understand. One thing I learned, not saying I'm, you know, I'm like the master of this or anything, but because I, I had obviously some failures too, but around like 06, and it wasn't intentional originally, but I realized like every year I want to, I want to add or at least try one thing that I didn't do the previous year. And I want to, at the end of the year, I want to look back and be like, all right, so that happened this year. And the first couple of years, I didn't realize it, but by like 2008 or nine, I was like, all right, this is every year I want to approach this way where at least I rolled the dice in some way with something. I think that's a really good, that that's probably some of the best advice I could give to people who are thinking about what I want to be someday. Or how do I get from point A to point B or point D to point E? What did you add over the last 12 months? Are you in the exact same spot that you were 12 months ago? And if you are, is that a good thing? Or are you satisfied with that? And I don't, I don't know if a lot of people think that way. Because some people, they hit a certain point and they're good. And that's it. And that's fine. I don't begrudge that. But if somebody's talking about they really want to be something, you have to keep adding and trying. And you can't be afraid to fail. I don't think you sound like Kobe Bryant, who every off season was like, "I gotta work." But on you and I have games. both failed in high profile ways a few times. Yeah, was it a bad thing? No. At the moment, it sucks. At the moment, it <laughs> feels like your life's ending. But you look back and you go, "All right, there's no other." What way. did I learn from that? I had. Can I take those three things? I look at like my HBO show. It failed. I learned three really, three or four really good things from it. You had. What was your biggest <laughs> failure? Uh, <laughs> Nishi, probably. And you, you learn from that. You learn to double down. You you figured out all the reasons why no. it didn't work. And then you applied it to what, what Yeah, came no, forward. I realized like, hey, my my game plan doesn't work anymore. You know, I felt like Sean McVay. 
<laughs> yeah. Bit. I was like, fuck, I can't be Sean McVay. Right. You know, and hopefully Sean McVay is not Sean McVay. He turns into something else. But, you know, I was just thinking about our favorite Korean brother, David Cho. Yeah. And God damn it. That guy's like some kind of weird wisdom savant or something, because this is how he phrases it. And I think he even talked to Howard Stern about this on his, on the Stern podcast. No, no. Show years ago. He, he phrases all of this these hard moments in life, whether they've happened to you or you are the reason for it, is post-traumatic growth or post-traumatic stress disorders. And most people choose post-traumatic stress as a, uh, and not an excuse, but as a logic and reasoning as to why they're not going to push harder or, um, you know, not try because it hurts too much. And I, 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 I don't think, you can blame anyone for feeling that way. And I don't know what the rhyme or reason is for people to be like, well, whatever obstacle's in front of me, that's going to propel me. I, I don't have any rhyme or reason, and I wish I could because I would expect to cook somebody's going to react. Yeah. I don't mean to single somebody out, but this is a positive. So Kevin O'Connor, who's been on your podcast. I love him. So we hired him in 2016. He was a Celtic blogger. I call him cock, not <laughs> Cock. <laughs> so for the next two years, he really worked at he listened to us. He really worked at his writing, figured out how to get better and become a better reporter. At that same time, we gave him a podcast too. We threw that at him. He figured out what his voice was. I would say this season, he went up a level on the podcast. At the same time, he has all this personal shit going on. His dad, unfortunately, just died as he's, he's talked about his dad a lot. His dad had cancer. And in the last year, he had a really rough ride and, you know, he passed away. And, he had all this personal shit going on and he was able to balance that um, and be there for his family, but also really kept trying to get better and thinking about how to get better. I was about as proud of, of that as anything. Right. You know? And I know you are because we talk about it because he's gotten so much better. Right. And he what, what I found to be incredibly, like, not just vulnerable, but that's the, what Cho and I talk about too is like, that's maybe what dudes need to be talking about more is that strength, right? The strength is even being like, I'm really at a loss. My father passed and And by sucks. the way, if, if that's your reaction, that's fine. I'm not, I'm not saying that's a bad thing. Every, it hits everybody differently. I think when you find, when you can find strength in adversity like that and actually be like com compartmentalize a different way yeah. and come out of it in a place where you're like, all right, this happened but I'm going to respond this way. Like you really learned something about somebody at that point. And I wish I could figure out how to just be like, Hey, this is how you, this is how it happens. But I don't, I don't think there's a rhyme or reason as to when someone's like, yeah, this is what's gonna, this is why right. I'm going to get through this. Right. And maybe it's a coping mechanism. I have no fucking idea because you know, but you know, when you say that, it's like, if someone chooses not to get better at their job either, it's like, that's not bad either. You know what I mean? And that's what I'm at now. And I, I just wish I could better prepare people, including myself, as to how to deal with all this shit. Because, you know, shit's getting more complicated and harder than ever before. The thing is, people control their own destiny a lot more than maybe they realize sometimes. You know? And it's like, if you're 60% there with whatever, then try, try going 100%. Or if you're not happy somewhere, maybe that's not where you should be. Or if you went down this path and it's not working, well, why isn't it working? Hmm. How, how can you flip it into a positive? But 
the problem solving, I think, is its own skill. And it's something I was really bad at for a long time. How'd you now, get better? Now it sounds like yeah, now how, it sounds like we're doing like a whatever podcast. Yeah, what are we doing? Like a, it's like a personal growth yeah. personal, personal growth podcast. Yeah, we're D-Pod. sponsored by Deep Action. <laughs> <laughs> um No, but I look at so when I was writing for the Boston Herald and I felt like I was better than all the people there, or at least the people I was competing against. And it wasn't happening for me, and I was doubling down, I was trying, to, but then you know, I submarined myself because I, instead of being like, all right, I'm going to keep my head down and I'm just going to be better than, I'm just going to keep doing good work and eventually someone will notice. My attitude was like, I'm better than these people. This is so frustrating. I can't believe this. And you get caught up in that and then you're not doing as good work. And I didn't realize that I was doing that at the you time. You spent so much mental energy not working. Just being mad. Yeah. And just being like, why isn't this happening? Why isn't that happening? This guy. And you get caught up in that. So I think of what social media is like now, and I, I do feel like, you know, you could feel it, especially after the Trump presidency with young people, but they're mad about that, but then they're going on social media. Then there's other people that are mad there. And then it's just this tornado of everybody being mad about everything. And I don't know if that's healthy. <clears throat> so when we talk about like mental health, why is it, you going back to the original question, why are there more and more pieces about, um, people talking about this is what happened to me and here's how I got through it. I think it's all part of the same thing. I think, I think social media in general, if you're on it all the time, it's, there's not a happiness factor from that. That's going to pay off in my opinion. I totally agree. And, and I, you know, the one thing I, I think can remedy this social media sort of, you know, uni mind, uni voice is like just being honest and, if you're afraid of making mistakes, then you're never going to learn and you're going to just make decisions like everyone else. And yeah, there's a group thing too, that I think it's dangerous. Here's the thing. What's a drug? A drug is if I try to remove this from my life, I'm going to notice and not be able to function. And I'm going to think about how I don't have this thing. So it's like caffeine. If I, if I don't have coffee in the morning, I, I'm fucking discombobulated, but I also love coffee. Coffee's not bad for me. It's okay. It's okay to be addicted to that. I feel like, but coffee and cocaine, not the good cocaine <laughs> or cigarettes. Like if you're, if you're smoking cigarettes and you wake up in the morning, you're like, I need a cigarette. Well, cigarettes are bad for you. That's a bad place to be. If you can't live like two days without looking at Twitter or Instagram, like, I, I honestly worry for my daughter. If I was like, I took your phone away, you can't look at TikTok or Instagram for two days. Could she function? Yeah. But I think she would, the first six hours, she would just reflexively be looking at her hand where the phone would be. And it's like, is that a good thing? No. So all this stuff, I I, I do worry about this stuff, but I don't. also don't know if I'm the old guy. I think we're the old guys. Kyle, you think we're the old guys? We're the old Kyle, guys, do we right? sound like the old guys? No, we should go back to flip phones and internet cafes, I think. Be great. Kyle is a rare, yeah. a rare twenty-something though. I've been posting on Instagram like a year. Kyle would much rather be at a bar hanging out with two people shooting the shit. I get no service at the dark room. It's, I don't have a choice. Yeah, Kyle's like, let's go have a cigarette outside, and we'll have a moment here for the next ten minutes, and then then he'll get all sappy. That's my move. And be like, hey Chang, man, you mean a lot I to knew me. You're gonna say that you know, shit. Chang. 
You, I was thinking, I just want to tell you, man, I love you. He did. He did say that. You did. I did not. You get me. You get me, Chang. That's what you do. You guys are kind of soulmates. But like, this is going to take another weird route. But let's go. When you talked about the Masters and how amazing it was, besides the golf itself, was the fact that you guys were in a vacuum of information. No cell phones. No running. No bullshit. And then the year after, I went, and I was like, oh my god, this is heaven on earth. Right. It's amazing. And everyone's following the orders. And if you want to meet someone, you're like, hey, that that tree over on the 15th, let's just meet there. Like, when? Where? Like, we'll, we'll just see right. you there. Yeah. And that's how it used to be. Or you rerun into, you run into somebody again that you didn't think you were going to see again. And it was like super exciting. <laughs> exactly. Right? <laughs> yeah. Like going to a bar back in the day. You're like, oh, shit. And then that doesn't happen anymore. We've been, uh, I like to watch dumb shows right before I fall asleep. And lately I've been watching Melrose Place. <laughs> Which they, is on the CBS All Access. Who's your favorite of the female cast members? Courtney Thorne Smith? First of all, I'm so glad you asked. I'm so glad you yeah. asked. It is a murderer's row. <laughs> it is it is the 92 dream team of female cast. Let's let's go through them. But uh Amanda Woodward, aka Heather Lackler. That's that she comes in. Halfway through the season, the show's dying. That's when we started watching it, uh, re-watching it recently. She comes in and is immediately the love triangle with Billy and Allison. And uh, and she's throwing 135 miles an hour. <laughs> it's just phenomenal. But it's interesting to watch, though, because people, it's, they're having conversations. There's no phones. Nobody, there's no social media. There's no internet yet because it's 1992. And people will be like, you know, Jake and Billy, they'll go down to shooters and they'll just start talking about their life for 20 minutes. I'm like, this definitely never happens anymore. Kyle's not like, hey, Jim Cunningham, let's go down to shooters. I've tried. He's not into it. Yeah, he's like, fuck you, Kyle. So basically um, we're saying the cell phones ruin lives. No, it's just, it was an interesting way to watch people interact. It was also way more flirty. Like Melrose Place, you watch it now, you're like, oh. Who's the big Cancel culture would not like Who was the Mel worst Rose villain? Play. The doctor was the worst character, right? Well, so Mancini, that was his name. The last like 12 episodes of season one, he starts cheating on his wife with That's Kimberly. Right. That's right. And the whole show takes off because it's got that and it's got the love And the triangle. wife gets written out, right? No, she just starts dating other people. So, so do I have to watch this again? The other thing is there was a great, there's a great stalker subplot because Allison's ex-boyfriend it becomes like a villain and that part was good. But anyway, um, <laughs> watching it just seemed like simpler is times. Be, is this going to be rewatchables? Nine, uh, nine, it nine, really nine. could be. Oh, I, I it think was a spinoff of 90210, right? Which one? Melrose Place. Yeah, oh well, yeah. Because Brenda was dating someone? Brenda would, no, it was Kelly got involved with Jake. Oh, that's right. Gladwell's talked about this. Melrose Place was a cultural phenomenon. Like there was everybody in a 12-year age ranger watching it every Monday night with 90210. That was just the way it went. I don't think there's Not shows anymore. like that now. But anyway, it was, it was a simpler time, but it was fascinating to watch. There's just people like, hey, want to go down to Shooters and get a beer? <laughs> sure. <laughs> now that person would just be online. People aren't even drinking anymore. I know. Kyle, do you think people are drinking less and smoking more pot? Yeah, I think so. I think it's way more pot, which, well, you I know. I think you save money. <laughs> right? Less hangover? I guess, but... I don't know. Is I'm, that good? Have we normalized pot too much, though? I say this as somebody who once owned a bong. <laughs> that was four feet tall. Graphics, four foot bong. Oh, my God. It was so great. 
It was unbelievable. We had a name for it. I can't remember the name of it. Oh, man. I I, I mean, I don't even know what we're talking about anymore. I don't we're talking either. about bongs. But I, no. I, will, I will say this. Whatever the Deepak Chopra type shit, whatever the fuck we've been talking about, happens to be some of these themes that are in the book. Um, so, I don't know. Yeah, well, that, that was how it came up because you yeah. have a whole thing about mental health. You were... You were pretty open about that earlier than just about. You anybody. know the funny thing is, I don't know if I talk about it if Tony doesn't die. That was the thing. Yeah, that was well, how like, much of Tony's in the book? Just a couple bits here. That's there. still too raw for you. Yeah, I mean, I talk about it, but it's also like I don't want to seem like it's like benefiting from it by talking about it more or less. There's, right. I talk about one one thing, you know, with him, but he was like, he was a big figure in my life. So the thing that I have to think about was. And the reason I decided to talk about it then uh, uh, on on my podcast was like, shit, I was always in situations where I only took from Tony. You know what I mean? And I was like, man, I never asked him, hey, how's everything? Is there anything I can do? Whatever, whatever. And you just started thinking about that. I was like, shit, that would be the dumbest thing. And the easiest thing to do is just like ask someone. Right. Right. So that's why I was like, maybe just, that also maybe helped me decide just to write the book the way, way, way it is right now. So, so May 19th. Yeah. May then, 19th, uh, Eat a Peach is the name of the book. Um, Bill's given me three quotes. I gave you three choices for a blurb. All of them made fun of you in some way. So I don't know what they picked. They and, probably just edited the joke part and yeah, just probably. kept the good part. Because each one was like, David Chang is so great, but, and then some sort of insult. <laughs> so they probably just kept the, cut the insult. And, uh, you know, hopefully it does well. There'll be a book tour, but, you know, people may forget Book of Basketball, number one New York Times bestseller yeah. for how many how many weeks? Just the first week. That was it. Yeah. But sh- that's an impossible thing for anyone to reach. It was, I, I, it was for the nonfiction, which was the hardest one. I had to sketch, sketch out a battle plan. This is, this is like Aaron Rodgers talking about all the, <laughs> all the, quarterbacks he drafted ahead of him what are all the books you beat he's got to remember he knows i actually didn't remember i just come on i didn't remember it was like super freakonomics that came out (laughs) same week mitch album's book had been out for a couple weeks it was like the tuesdays with maury sequel it was like wednesdays with bob i don't remember what it was called (laughs) and then gladwell had his book which was at that point multiple months on the list but still to crack that that's an insanely hard task it was late october no, I, I I figured out a whole plan for it. And then ESPN Books did their best to try to screw it up. And I still did it. <laughs> it was like, it was like I had the coach who was calling for the, for the fourth and 10, not punting, throwing the Hail Mary into three people. But it still happened. It was good. But that was another thing where it was like, there was this one day where it happened. Super excited. Had a, that my dad had, we was in San Francisco. We found out I was with some friends from high school and my dad was there and Big dinner, and it was, and then the next day you wake up and you're like, all right, what's next? You're like Belichick. You're like, gotta. No, gotta, it's like, all right, dude, now what? Now what happens? <laughs> no, it doesn't. Feels good for a couple of hours, then yeah. you're like, but that's the thing. All right, you now think, what? You think that would be the moment that I finally did it, but you're like, eh, you gotta gotta work harder. That's what's so stupid about this whole thing. <laughs> you think you'd work less, Get but no, you gotta work more. Yeah. yeah, I gotta find the Cervantes quote: "The journey is better than the end." That's it. But that's, how different is that than In fact, let's bring him out. Cervantes, come on in. <laughs> With Poncho. Um, All right, so we got that. We got Ugly Delicious season two. And yeah. then- uh, We're uh, filming the Hulu show right now with Chrissy Teigen. Um, 
the name is still a work in progress, but um, it's a, there's a lot. And this L.A. thing is happening, Bill. We're, we're here. We're going to get here permanently. You'll see. Right. Moving here. And then, and then you got to take the belt from the parasite guy. Grab that. <laughs> I got to start him. making. You got to step it up. Feature films. Don't be satisfied. You got to get it. Got to take uh, that belt back. Oh man, <laughs> fucking director. David Bob. Chang, a pleasure as always. Thanks, Bill. All right. Thanks to House. Thanks to Chang. Thanks to ZipRecruiter. Thanks to Simply Safe. Everything you need in a home security system. An army of highly trained security experts ready to dispatch police to your home in a moment's notice, twenty four seven. You can set this system up all by yourself. Go simplysafe.com slash BS. Go there. Get a free Simply Safe security camera. Normally $100. Go today. It's free. Simply Safe with two eyes. Simplysafe.com slash BS. Godfather 3 rewatchables tomorrow. And then uh, this pod's coming back one more time on Thursday. See you then. <laughs>